Hello, and welcome to Between the Stacks, a podcast created and produced by the Odell Public Library. I'm Emily Lenore. Hi, I'm Krista Mapes. Hi, everyone. I'm Gillian Larson. On this episode of Between the Stacks, literary scandals and lawsuits, plus our segments Reader's Advisory and Ask a Librarian. But first, some announcements. So we have library cards for kids. If you have any questions about this or would like to apply for a card, please give us a call or email us. Secondly, we have community picks. We'd love to hear what you're reading, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Fill out the Google form to submit a book review, which is linked in the description of this episode. We'll post reviews on our bulletin board at Odell and may even feature a review or two in a future Between the Stacks episode, with your permission, of course. Virtual Storytime takes place every Wednesday evening from 7 to 7.30 on Facebook Live. Snuggle up with your young people and enjoy themed stories, songs, and rhymes with Miss Katie each week. Storytime videos remain posted online for two weeks, so watch anytime. You can come into the library without an appointment. With COVID numbers down in our area, the library is moving to a more open state. The front doors will be unlocked, so come on in during our open hours. Please continue to social distance, wear masks, and sanitize your hands. Odell Public Library has Nyabi Zoo and Putnam Museum passes available for checkout. Please note that you may need to call and reserve a time to visit per the organization's pandemic guidelines. Moving on onto this week's main segment, literary lawsuits and scandals. Why did we choose to discuss lawsuits, Emily? Because they're interesting. <laughs> because they're interesting. <laughs> I watch Perry Mason all the time, and he's a lawyer, and that's why. Okay. That's why. Emily's passionate about lawsuits. The literary world is not immune from lawsuits and scandals. This week, we've chosen a few of our favorites to discuss. So, the first section for this is People versus Oprah. There have been three incidents in where Oprah either an Oprah endorsed book or Oprah herself was involved in a lawsuit with a author. Really? Yes. So the first one is the book A Million Little Pieces. So Oprah helped land author James Frey's highly fictionalized memoir A Million Little Pieces onto the New York Times bestseller list and she interviewed him for her television book club. But then she learned that basically everything in the memoir and what he discussed during the interview, all those events were embellished or fictionalized entirely. Like, the whole book just didn't happen. It's fake. It's a, it's a fake memoir. Do you know what the book's about? It's... Because I'm not going to read it. Th- that's fine. You don't have to. A million little pieces. That sounds, yeah, like, pieces. very familiar. Is it, is it a green cover? It's, it's kind of like... It's like a bluish teal color, and then there's a hand on it, and, like, the hand is covered in, like, little, like... You know, like those like little candy pieces. Oh yeah, like those little like like rock spherical. candy. Well, but they're more like a. It's more like a, a sprinkle, like a like a oh. sphere circle. Oh, the okay. hand is covered in those, and like it's just on the cover, and it says like a million little pieces in like all lowercase text. So, the whole book is fake. The whole the whole book is made up. Yeah. So dang Oprah. An investigative website called The Smoking Gun, <laughs> which is very aptly titled found multiple discrepancies between his life and the account in his book. Among the site's findings were that Mr. Freud only spent a few hours in jail and not three months as he had written. I don't know who wants to exaggerate the, the amount of time they spent in jail, but apparently this this man does. That's something he that lied I about do. how his girlfriend had died, about the details of, of a foray outside a rehab center, and about his claim. Wait, 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 wait. 
did his girlfriend actually die or um, did he just make that it says completely that he up? lied about how she had died Oh, so, oh, so she, she must have died. That. She did. I don't. And then about his claim that he had received a root canal without anesthesia because the center prohibited the use of Novocaine. This guy is like, he's just like, he sounds so sad. So I gotta make my life the worst and then write about it. Most and I know people like his that. second book had also been a bestseller. It includes a detail, a disclaimer that some names have been altered, but makes no mention of some events are complete fiction so this book is about this book is about a guy who went to prison whose girlfriend died he had a root canal with no novocaine and he did a whole bunch of other stuff and that is completely he only spent three hours that makes me laugh he spent three hours in jail not three months like he claimed in the book (laughs) three hours that is funny i've been to jail i know how hard that is is (laughs) only spends three hours in jail three hours in a holding cell made bail i I don't know if that's what happened or not but but he wrote a book about how he spent three months that's amazing Okay, well, thanks, Oprah. For so then the, the next one involving Oprah is presidential trivia copyrightable. Oh, this is up your alley. <laughs> so Charles Harris wrote a pamphlet called How America Elects Her Presidents in 2008, and he sent it to Oprah. Uh, he never got on the show or anything like that. Hmm. But so Oprah did a segment about kids who know presidential trivia and one of the questions she read just happened to be exactly written as the same as in this guy's pamphlet. And so he went to his lawyer and was like, plagiarism. Oh, Oprah copied off me. Yes. And so Oprah's legal team then proved that only one question just happened to be written the same as it was in his pamphlet. And the $100 million lawsuit was dismissed. Whoa. $100 million. It was dismissed, so. It was dismissed when the judge ruled that presidential trivia is not copyrightable. So, have you ever heard of a man named Stephen Blumberg? No. No. Okay, well, let me tell you about him. He was arrested in 1990, and he is the most successful book thief in U.S. history. Book thief? Book thief. Okay. $5.3 million he has stolen of books. What? Did she he sell stole, all of them? He's stolen over 23,600 rare and valuable books from universities and museums across 45 states and Canada. Are you kidding me? No. He just walked into a museum and was like, I'm going to take your... But only universities and museums? Yes. like Because no, that's, actual... that's where the good expensive stuff is. That's well, where the I rare get stuff that, is. but like... I know that there's That's been insane. a few books that have come like to our library, and they're not like millions or anything. But right? How much money did that equate 5. to? Five point three million dollars. So he was born in Minnesota, but he lived. Of course, he was. But Minnesota. he lived in Ottumwa, Iowa, which is Iowa's where the well, thieves come from. Let me see how far away that is. That's a fun fact. That's that's Atumwa, Iowa. Kind of close to is right? three hours away. It's a very small town. So he's a small town, average three Joe. Three hours away. Three hours away from us. Who is just like I'm going to go to a whole it's bunch a, of museums. His middle name is Carrie, C A R R I E, like the Stephen King book. Which is kind of funny because his first name is Stephen. So he lived. <clears> this man <throat> lived on a seventy-two thousand dollar annual family trust fund. His 
<laughs> so that oh man that makes me mad <laughs> his compulsion to collect books developed in childhood when he became interested in many of the beautiful but run-down victorian homes in st paul he walked past on his way to school he began removing doorknobs and stained glass windows from these old houses that were slated from destruction as part of a revitalization project in st paul he amassed hundreds of these items during his time also collecting the, the collecting, in quotes, the books. His, so his interest in Victorian architecture brought him into the rare book stacks at University of Minnesota, and he initially took items as a way to create a reference collection for his own use. So at oh, 2 a.m. Yeah. on March 20, 1990, he was arrested for stealing 23,600 rare, valuable, and other assorted books from 268 or more universities and museums in 45 states, two Canadian provinces, and Washington, D.C. Were all the books returned? Oh, I'm looking. We're, we're going to find out. Okay. That, that's my main question. Oh, and this keeps going. He's, so, it doesn't end in 1990 with his arrest. No, no. In 1997, he was arrested, convicted again of burglary of antiques. <laughs> he was arrested in July 2003 for a burglary of a, burglary of a house in Keokuk, Iowa. He was again arrested in, in June 2004 for burglary in Knoxville, Illinois. And this violated his probation for the 2004 Keokuk, Iowa arrest for us she was and then he was again arrested okay so he so lots of arrests he's still alive he's so he's still out there somewhere it's just like catch me if you can but book version i want to meet this man just so that i can <laughs> say that i've what? met this man well i don't know where he's living at now um, oh i'm gonna find out all right we will what's his name again uh, Stephen Blumberg. Blumberg. okay Stephen so Blumberg. some of the more precious he objects he stole include a first copy edition of harriet beecher stowe's uncle hobbs cabin Wow. First edition. Yes. And then a book called A Confession of Faith, which is the first published book in Connecticut in 1710. 25 boxes of rare materials outlining the early history of Oregon, including the Webfoot Diary and the Bishop's Bible, a 16th century volume. And a whole box of Goosebumps books. (laughs) (laughs) Bloomberg claimed he put together 100 in Canabula in three years, including the 1493 Nuremberg Chronicle bound in ivory calfskin. He also collected the Zamor- Zamorano 80, a list of rare books collected, a list of rare books established in 1945 by a book of preeminent book collectors in Los Angeles Book Club. Uh, okay, I just gotta say, <laughs> as a person who loves books, I can't tell I, if I like this guy or hate this guy. Right? Like, I don't condone his actions of stealing, but I want to see this freaking collection that he's well, got he going on. Well, he probably doesn't yeah. have the collection anymore. Well, not anymore. I know, but can but you imagine, like, can you imagine um, like, meeting oh, this guy? Oh, he said he would never sell them because he thought that would be dishonest. So he, he draws the line <laughs> at selling the stolen items, but he'll, he'll keep them for himself. <laughs> this guy, he's like, I'll steal them, but I won't sell them. That's mm, it. That's draw the line right there. That is crazy. That is like... Yes, it I, is crazy. It's like a Beauty and the Beast style library. You just open the doors and it's that. like, look at all these stolen, stolen artifacts. Stolen I, I hate books. the fact that, that they're guy, stolen, but I love the fact that they're so rare and unique. Yeah, and like you have to give him credit. This guy was stealing... He had to have been like a book expert at that point to know like what to steal. Yeah. How to curate his own collection of everything. How to store it. In a way, he's a librarian. Yeah, but like a dishonest librarian. A dishonest librarian. A crooked librarian. Yeah, there are a lot of, of like... Oh, that would be because, a fantastic um, book idea. Sorry, crook librarian. 
Well, Sorry. people have, like, written articles and stuff about him, so that's... Yeah. But, like, also there is, like, this mental health aspect, too, because he has been treated for schizophrenia and oh. stuff like that, so... Well, he's a kleptomaniac. I, I would expect there to be Yes, so there issues. is all that. But something that's really interesting, the Canadian Medical Association Journal published an article on people who steal books. and it's, <laughs> Just books? Yes, like, because book theft is, like, a certain, like... Really? It's a, it's a certain category, I guess like, I would call it. Of thievery? There's bibliokleptomaniac, which is, like, a real thing that people, like, have. And they're, they list other book thieves. And they list Stephen Blumberg. There's also other people in here that they talk about. So it's really interesting. I can put a link to that in the um, show notes. But there's, yeah. really, there's, there's a lot of... And also the American Institute for Conservation of Historic and Artistic Works, they wrote an article about him. So, like, it's this really, like... So he's, like, well-known. Yeah. Interesting. There's a book on here guy called <laughs> A Gentle Madness, Bibliophiles, Bibliomanes, and the Eternal Passion for Books. That must have him in it. I will, like, s- I will say, there's, like, an odd comfort being, like, working here. Like, I, I don't have the time to read very often, but being surrounded by books and just, like, feeling them and touching them is something that satisfies me. So I can understand this guy. So then my final, this is more of a scandal. There is no lawsuit involved. So the trilogy, Fifty Shades of Grey, we know it exists. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So many people have wanted that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So E.L. James wrote, it's called Grey, Fifty Shades of Grey as told by Christian. So it's like his point of view. It's Mm. like the Twilight, the whatever. Midnight Sun. Sure. I almost bought Midnight Sun yesterday. Okay, so it's it's Christian's point of view in the series because the other three books are from Anastasia. So this, from Christian's point of view, this book, Grey, was stolen. Stolen the, from wait, the, what? The finished copy, like the finished manuscript, was stolen 10 days before the novel's scheduled release date on June 18th oh. of 2015. Which, and June 18th is Christian's birthday in the series, so that's the day the book comes out. So, basically, this, like, this theft, like, incited fears that the book would be leaked, and Kent Police, which, in the UK, were scrambling to solve, like, who had stolen this book. But a few days later, the, her publisher, Penguin Random House UK, released a statement saying that, and I quote, the book's theft does not appear to have been for any malicious intent or financial gain. So then the Kent police were like, yeah, there's been no evidence at all linked to this. So so they could have lied about it? So it could have been like a failed publicity stunt to, because if everybody's like, oh no, it's going to be leaked, but then like it turns out not to be. It could have been for like extra publicity. It could have been for extra publicity surrounding the release of this new huh. book. Interesting. I was wondering but, so, if it was actually stolen and then... They returned it and was like, "This isn't good." Or if they were just like, "I just really wanted to read it," like before, like it came out, <laughs> and just returns it like nonchalantly. Here you go. Goodbye. Oh man. 
So uh, there is another kind of like lawsuit scandal that I want to talk about. It, it deals with the universe called the Omegaverse. It's kind of a scandal. It, it leads to a lawsuit, but it's something that requires a lot of background information before we get into what the lawsuit actually is. So the lawsuit, it, it deals with something called the Omegaverse. <clears throat> So the Omegaverse is also known as ABO, an abbreviation for Alpha, Beta, Omega. This is a subgenre of fiction and originally a subgenre of fan fiction. So stories in this genre are premised on societies wherein humans are divided into a dominance hierarchy of dominant alphas, neutral betas, and submissive omegas. So basically, if you want to think of it like all humans kind of operate on like this wolf pack mentality, that's what the Omegaverse is. These terms are derived from those used in ethology to describe social hierarchies in animals. The genre often features other fantasy elements, such as the presence of like werewolves or other fantastical creatures. Some works introduce a caste system where alphas are depicted as the upper class elites while omegas are at the bottom tier and face discrimination. Uh, so I was researching this and something that I found was interesting was this began in the 1960s. So this is not like a new subgenre of fiction or fan fiction. It began with the sci-fi series Star Trek and it began, uh, fans of this began to pair members of the show together with similar dynamic tropes of the Omegaverse inspired by the Vulcan species Ponfar experience. Later on, fan fiction writers latched onto this concept and officially started the Omegaverse. And <laughs> Crystal, you're going to like this fact. The first heavily mainstream piece of fiction that contained these dynamics was in fact a supernatural fan fiction. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. So they were like, Dean's an alpha and Sam is a beta and yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So as of 2020, over 70,000 Omegaverse fan works have been published on the fan fiction website archive of our own. And I want to put a disclaimer in there. I think fan fiction is real fiction. Like some people are like, mm. and for those of you who don't know what fan fiction is, it it is like, if I want to write a story about Harry Potter, I have the right to write a fictional story about Harry Potter. I'm not going to publish it or gain any rights out of it, of course. Well, That's yeah. for later on. But but fan fiction is very popular amongst people who are a part of fandoms like Supernatural or Harry Potter or Star Wars or... Star Trek. Star Trek, <laughs> yeah. And it's all over the internet. You can find it. You can look up. It's not only for, like, fictional fandoms. It's also for, like, movie stars and bands and music and... And yeah, presidents and presidents. It's fan fiction can get weird, but fan fiction also, I think, is a very valid form of artistic expression and literature. And yeah, in addition to these derivative works, Omegaverse has emerged as its own genre of original commercial fan fiction, with the 2007 novel "With Caution" by J.L. Langley. Roughly 200 Omegaverse novels were published on Amazon from January to June of 2020. So here's here's where there's like some controversy. In 2016, there was an author named Addison Kane. She released a book called Born to be Bound, a novel which features Omegaverse genre tropes. But then in April of 2018, Kane and her publisher, Blushing Books, filed uh, like a copyright claim against another author named Zoe Ellis for her 2018 novel, Crave to Conquer. And basically, they accuse each other of plagiarism, arguing that both Born to be Bound and Crave to Conquer focuses on a central couple that is an omega female and an alpha male and include the concepts of omegas hiding their identity by use of suppressants, omegas being rare, and yada, yada, yada. So 
Kane was trying to sue Ellis, Amazon actually took Ellis's books off of Amazon for some time. So then Ellis turned around and tried suing Kane for loss of of revenue. And so it was this whole big thing for a very long time. And then in September of 2019, Ellis and Quill Inc. filed a separate civil lawsuit against Kane, arguing that some copyright claim was false and malicious. And the New York Times wrote about this, and they, they noted that the case was an example of how easily intellectual property law can be weaponized by authors seeking to take down their rivals. Holy crap. Yeah. People are very passionate about the Omegaverse, and I, I want to put out a disclaimer. These works of fiction and the Omegaverse is something to explore with caution, as many works are R-rated and not appropriate for, for many, many age ranges. I don't know why, but I really want you to say 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Ten, ten, negative 10 out of 10. Do not read Omega Do, do not read. You are not prepared to be mentally scarred. And also, just don't be <laughs> mean to other authors. Like, Addison Kane, like, lied about a bunch of stuff, so. Yeah. Be nice messy. to your fellow human beings. And that's the thing. Fan and don't lie. Yeah. And here's the to thing. To the law. Perjury is a thing and we will find you. Perjury is a thing. We have a perjury <laughs> officer on hand. I am the perjury officer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, I want to add to my note about my thoughts about fan fiction being a valid form of writing. Be nice to authors also. Like if you're a person who reads fan fiction or, or you're thinking of looking up fan fiction or whatever have what whatever you want to do. These people write extraordinarily well. And like I've read fan fiction before that they're like 30, 40, 80 chapters worth of well written like well written stuff. And since they're not big authors like James Patterson or Nora Roberts or the winner of our stack attack, John Grisham these people who write things on the internet are more accessible to the average person. So Krista, if you wrote Harry Potter fan fiction, I could be like a fan of it and I could comment on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's also a thing that I've been seeing lately of fan fiction writers being abused yeah. and like write more. We want more. When are you putting out this chapter? Because we have lives. They post their stuff to Twitter. They post their stuff to archive of our own. So if you're thinking of reading fan fiction, it is like you are you are going you are willingly going to read something that another average person is writing and that average person has a life outside of this fan right fiction. a lot of fan fictions are written one chapter at a time and published a chapter at a time it, you're not going into something that's that's, that's a published polished you know printable mm-hmm. book we'll get to that of fan fictions being published into printable books but like if you're reading something on the internet, please be nice. Like I said before, be nice to your fellow human beings. Yay. So some fan fiction writers have a lot of success and go on to become like published authors, like with books on shelves at libraries and such. And so we're going to be talking about some of the really like popular things that kind of started out as fan fiction. Okay, so there's a book titled After, and it's by an author uh, named Anna Todd. And I'll read a little blurb of After. It's about Tessa Young, 
So Tessa Young is an 18-year-old college student with a simple life, excellent grades, and a sweet boyfriend. She always has things planned out ahead of time until she meets a rude boy named Harden with too many tattoos and piercings who shatters her plans. I think no one knows this, I feel, that checks this book out at our library. And I always want to tell them this because, because of reasons. It's a great fact. It's a great fact. So After by Anna Todd was a Wattpad fan fiction about Harry Styles before it was published as a reworked novel and made into a film. Yes, there's a movie. There's a movie. Harry's character was changed to Harden Scott and Harry Styles is not affiliated with this book nor the author who once went by the name of Imaginator 1D. Beautiful. I I read this book when I was in middle school. And I don't know if that exposes me or not, but I'm saying I was a fan of this thing when it was about Harry Styles, and it was big. It was like when you went onto Wadpad to read fan fiction, like it was the first. It thing. was one of it had a million reads, yeah. and that's like super, super. It had like 80 chapters, and I thought it was good, but I was also in middle school or like early high school. I can't remember. And I just think it's really funny when people come in and they're like, have you read After by Anna Saad? Well, and then the character <laughs> dated Zane and then she changed Zane's name. So I can't, I cannot look at any piece of, I can't look at the book. I can't look at the movie without being like, that was about Harry Styles. And then everybody hates the movie. Everyone hates the movie apparently because it's, it's a fan, I'm, and no shade to fan fiction, but like. It's just hard to rework something like because that was the success of it was yeah. that it was about harry styles but now it's the just artist and now it's just about some guy named harden who's still british by the way but that's just far that's too just, many tattoos and piercings that's just what i have to say about this. too many <laughs> and there's a sequel there's a, oh yeah there, there's, there's like five like, books in the there's series like, there's like yeah it's at least a trilogy i think like after oh yeah she's working on more i think after 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 two, after three, after three. and after four. <laughs> anyway. Yikes. <laughs> that's what I was excited about. Uh, <laughs> so I want to talk about a different fan fiction one. Uh, so the most famous fan fiction author to go pro from the Harry Potter fandom is Cassandra Clare. Uh, you guys might know her. She is the author of the, the Mortal Instrument series. Like City of Bones? City of Bones. Bones City. Yeah. She published her wildly popular Draco trilogy from 2000 to 2006. And then shortly before publishing her first professional novel, City of Bones, Clare removed all of her fan fiction from the internet seemingly signaling a move from fan fiction to the professional world however my sister and i was discussing this before mm -hmm. and we think that her very popular character in city of bones jace has qualities that are linked to draco so interesting I, i'm kind of thinking that it might be a little crossover like maybe yeah so interesting i like it so we already talked about E.L. James, her book Grey, getting stolen before its release date. Such a scandal. But she also started out as a fan fiction writer. So she wrote Twilight fan fiction. And her trilogy, originally titled Master of the Universe, was posted as Twilight fan fiction on fanfiction.net 
under the pen name Snow Queen's Ice Dragon <laughs> in nice. August of 2009. And so after that, obviously, she's sold over 70 million copies worldwide of her Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. And in 2013, Forbes named E.L. James the highest paid author in the world with $95 million in earnings. Thanks to her massive book sales and a seven-figure paycheck for the first movie adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey. Holy crap, okay. I just think it's really interesting how authors can like start out in the 2000s writing Twilight fan fiction or Harry Potter fan fiction and they and grow into like the most popular... Right, they grow into like the most popular... Like, they know what's up. They know what's up. Catch me in 10 years. We already kind of talked about this, but the Omegaverse genre... Started out as fan fiction. Started out as fan fiction, and some things have been published into actual books, like the lawsuit. Some things are being made into movies with similar themes. I can't pick out a, a, a single one, but, but... I mean, it happens. It happens. Started out as fan fiction, you know. Yeah. Fan fiction's awesome. So moving on to our next segment, Reader's Advisory. Since we've been talking a lot about fandoms and movies and fan fiction, we figured it would be fun to recommend books based on TV shows or movies that some patrons might be watching. Do you have a movie or a TV show and then a book recommendation afterwards? You bet I do. Okay, so a movie I really like is National Treasure. Cool. National Treasure's good. So, National Treasure. It's a great movie. It checks all the boxes. We've got, we're running around to historical places. Mm-hmm. Someday, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to do the trip. Like, I want to just go to all the places where they went, like, in order. You're going to steal the declaration. No! No! Yes, she is. No! <laughs> I am not Stephen Blumberg. I do not steal things. Okay. No, I meant, like, I have an itinerary of, like, all the places they went to, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to follow that itinerary. That's cool. But, like, avoid the illegal stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. You're not going to put lemon juice in the back of the declaration? No, and I'm also not going to apply heat to it either. Okay. Okay. I have a few books to share that fans of National Treasure 1 and 2 might like. The first is The Monuments Men by Robert M. Edsel. This is a true story. It is about the allied heroes, Nazi thieves, and the greatest treasure hunt in history. And it's, it's real life. It's nonfiction. We have it here at the library. Basically, so during World War II, the Nazis, they were stealing and destroying pieces of art. And so people on the allied side of things were stealing those pieces of art to keep them out of Nazi hands. And they also... They were finding they were finding other things that the Nazis had already stolen. I believe this is made into a movie, so if you want to watch that instead. But this uh, it's a really cool story, the greatest treasure hunt in history. And then a couple of authors I recommend. The first is Brad Meltzer. He, I believe, is a historian himself, and he's written stuff in the kids section and in our adult section. He has a lot of books. A couple I have here are The President's Shadow which involves the Culper Ring, which is maybe one of my favorite pieces of American history. And I guess another Culper Ring thing also is Turn, Washington Spies, the series I really like that a lot too. 
And then another book I have by Brad Meltzer here is The Fifth Assassin. What if all four presidential assassins were all working together over time? Ooh, conspiracy. Like a, like a conspiracy theorist book? Kind of. It's These are all fiction. Like oh. So the, the Brad Meltzer writes historical fiction. That's cool. Uh, and then Steve Barry, he has a whole series, the Cotton Malone series, kind of involving the same stuff, like treasure hunts over time and historical things. And the first book in that series is The Templar Legacy. So if you want to get started on that. Well, thank nice. you, Emily. Okay, so I chose a TV show. You guys might know this about me, but I really like the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender. The Avatar without the blue people. Don't squint at me. That's my favorite film, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Avatar. We fight about Avatar very often. Yeah. And I just watch. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's fun because I say Avatar and Gil's like the one with the blue people and I'm like no obviously not the ones with the blue people no the avatar that you like which I've never seen and I'm interested in watching it I just want to watch it with you we'll get, we'll get there okay so some books that I have to recommend so if you just like the elemental like people can control elements aspect of avatar the last airbender there's a book called forest of souls by Lori M. Lee there's also shadow and bone by Lee Bardugo, which recently became a Netflix show. Oh, it did. Yeah. That is so cool. And that one's like really popular. And I would recommend that book very much. There's also Air Awakens by Elise Kova. And it's once again a person who has a rare elemental magic. And this person is actually a 17 year old library apprentice. So. I was like, this is right up my alley, and I started reading it. Some other books that I would like to recommend are actually books that occur after the TV show. So these books are created by the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender. And it takes place after the Hundred Year War. And these book series, it explains some of the things that sort of happen in the TV series but aren't really explained and it also takes you on just a whole lot of the adventures with the gang and it starts where like the TV show ends exactly where it ends cool yeah that's awesome okay and uh, if you watched Game of Thrones you might be interested in reading the series itself <laughs> some people don't know that it was a whole bunch of books by George R.R. R. Martin and it's not done yet it's not done yet however there's another book series that may interest you it's called Red Rising by Pierce Brown it's similar to Game of Thrones with epic battles unexpected deaths and a fight for power it's about a young adult named Darrow he's a member of the lowest caste in his society a red whose survival relies on the work that he does to make Mars more habitable for the upper classes. But then he discovers the truth that the other castes live like kings above ground while reds remain slaves. So he joins an uprising as a spy and infiltrates an elite but brutal gold training school where violence means little. So hidden amongst his enemies, Darrow will have to become one of them in order to free his people. So it's it's similar to Game of Thrones with like, you know, yeah, the, the theater of... The battles and like the unexpected deaths and and everything okay 
Ask a librarian. Okay, so I sort of was wondering, have you guys ever stolen a book or had a book stolen from you? I've both stolen a book accidentally, not from an official, not from a store or not from a library or anything. I accidentally borrowed a book from a friend in elementary school and then forgot to return it. It's a book about Twilight and it's sitting on my shelf right now. And every time I see it, I feel bad. So I'm sorry, Olivia, if you're listening, but... I have your Twilight book, and uh, I read it once in a while. Gillian. I'm sorry, but I've also had a book stolen from me, and I'm still not over it. It was a Junie B. Jones book. It was titled, Junie B. Jones is Not a Crook. I didn't even get to read it. I gave it to my first grade teacher, and I was like, hey, myth is redacted. You should give this to <laughs> <laughs> Redacted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like hey mrs you should read this took the class i think this is a really good book i don't know why i said that because i didn't get to read it i had a junie b jones box set on my little like bookshelf when i was little and it was a part of that really important box set that i loved so much and i gave it to her and she never gave it back to me ever that's a shame i know so every time i see that book on our shelves i'm just like oh but the irony that it's called junie b jones is not a crook yeah it's stolen from you (laughs) Junie B. Jones is not a crook, and it was stolen from me by a teacher. An educator, nonetheless. Anyway. Emily, have you ever had a a book stolen from you? Yes. So this book is called Marie Antoinette's Serial Killer. It's a fantastic book. It's also, if you like National Treasure, you might like this too. (laughs) Because it's another historical treasure hunt thing. And back when I was in real school, in high school, I gave it to someone to borrow. I wrote my name in the book to make sure that it would come back to me. And I stuck it in her locker, and I never saw it again. And she was like two grades above me. What was her name? What was her name? We're not going to... It's redacted. It's redacted. It's been redacted. Redacted. Yeah, so she was like two grades above me, and it was like the year she was graduating so i never saw the book again what was the book called marie antoinette serial killer marie antoinette serial killer when's it's your birthday march. my birthday is in march, it's in march. Dang it. so now i oh man i was it's okay fine. christmas is closer I'll, I'll get you that book for christmas i'll replace it for all me. right that's fine better not forget i'm not going to i'm gonna have this <laughs> podcast as a reminder if you have a question for ask a librarian send us an email with the subject line between the stacks at ask.odell.library at gmail.com That's it for this episode. Tune in on June 7th for the next episode. And until then, happy reading! Between the Stocks is hosted by Gillian Larson, Krista Mapes, and Emily Lenore. This episode was written by Gillian Larson, Krista Mapes, and Emily Lenore. Special thanks to the entire Odell Library staff, library board, and friends of Odell. Thanks to all our wonderful patrons who support the library, and thank you so much for listening to this podcast.